So in this uh, period in the afternoons, we've been starting to explore the four Brahma-Vihara practices, uh, beginning with metta, kindness, or goodwill. And I gave you those two slightly different ways of uh, working with them, the reciting phrases method and the radiating energy method. And we could easily spend a whole retreat just exploring these practices in more depth, more detail. But I wanted to give you at least a taste of the next Brahma-Vihara, which is compassion, because as we were exploring with right thought, this is also an aspect of right thought as an antidote to harming. So we cultivate harmlessness in our daily lives and on retreat, by emphasizing this quality of compassion. And in the context of a a one-week retreat, it's actually quite unusual to be offered instructions in anything other than metta. Um, And I think that's unfortunate because it can leave us with this misunderstanding that metta is somehow supposed to be the default response to every challenging situation in our lives. So, for example, when I was doing volunteer work in the men's prison and we started to explore metta, there was this uh, little bit of, should we say, anxiety or anger that this meant the men were supposed to become everybody's new best friend. And obviously in a prison setting, there are quite a few people that you don't want to have very much to do with at all. But all of this uh, training that we do in the Brahma-Viharas, remembering this metaphor of the two wings of wisdom and compassion, all of the Brahma-Viharas are supported by wisdom. So this wisdom understands that not, we're not trying to be everyone's best friend, we're trying to cultivate a basic attitude of respect. And that respect might mean that we keep some people at some degree of physical distance, even within, as within our hearts, we have that basic non-ill will. There's a second aspect of the Buddha's teachings that I think it's important to keep in mind in relation to these practices, and that's that throughout the teachings, there's no distinction between self and other So you remember in the refrain from the Brahma-Viharas with radiating energy, we're pervading it over the entire world. And sometimes the translation then goes on to say to all as to oneself. So metta also needs to include we ourselves. And if we're doing it in a way that, as some people fear, is going to make us into a doormat, was going to make us be taken advantage by other people, it's not genuine metta. It might be in the terrain of the near enemy because it's not underpinned by wisdom. Genuine metta takes into account our own well-being equally with other people. And sometimes that's hard for us to understand because I think it's different from the Judeo-Christian conditioning where the invitation or the expectation is that We put ourselves last and everybody else first. So this idea that we're on a a more um, equal or uh, universal 
level is quite, for some people, quite uh, a training. So metta is not always intended to be the default response to every setting, every circumstance. And sometimes it might not be the wisest attitude to be cultivating. So, for example, sometimes um, people would say to me, well, I've been trying to do meta practice for my ex-partner and I, I've been in a custody battle with him for five years and somehow it's not working. <laughs> and you say, hmm, have you tried compassion, particularly self-compassion? And the usual response is one of either blankness, like what? Or sometimes outright horror. Because this idea of offering kindness to ourselves, care for ourselves, for some people is extremely challenging. I've worked with some people who really, really find this difficult. And one person in particular, I asked them, why is this so hard? And they said that they just couldn't find any phrases for compassion, self-compassion, that felt authentic. So I said, okay, well, let's try and work on this together. And we played around with a few different phrases. And what we came up with together was something like, may I be willing at some point in the future to consider the possibility of extending some degree of compassion in the direction of me myself. And that was what felt true and authentic. So we have to start where we are. So even if it's like metaphorically at arm's length, that is still better than nothing. And as we keep practicing it, perhaps it starts to become a little closer and feel a little more natural. So all of these different practices are interrelated. And I'd like to read you a, a sequence of the way two English Dharma teachers have framed the four Brahmaviharas together. This is by Caroline Jones and Paul Burroughs. And I, I just like the succinct way that they lay out these, pa- these uh, practices and their relationships. So they say, metta, kindness, is the love that connects. It's an antidote to all forms of aversion. It is not attachment. If it slides into sentimentality, karuna, compassion, brings the heart back into balance. Karuna, the love that responds, is an antidote to cruelty. It is not pity. If it slides into sorrow, mudita, appreciative joy, brings the heart back into balance. Mudita, the love that celebrates, is an antidote to envy. It is not competitive. If it slides into agitated excitement, upeka, or equanimity, brings the heart back into balance. Upeka, the love that allows, is the antidote to partiality. It is not indifference. If it slides into disconnection, metta brings the heart back into balance. 
So you might have noticed there how these practices really come full circle. They really, metta uh, supports all of them. Equanimity then um, comes back into balance with metta. So we circle around and around these different flavors of love and begin to expand them into a force field that becomes universal. So Karuna, so Metta is the foundation for all of the Brahmaviharas. And as I said the other night, when this basic kindness or goodwill is turned towards suffering, it flowers as compassion. It's the love that responds. It responds to another's pain or to our own pain. And as I just mentioned, many of us find that... um, aspect of offering compassion to ourselves incredibly challenging so we need to um, remembering the invitation that or remembering that this is a gradual path we can think of this again as like building a muscle so just as if we go to the gym we don't try and start with 50 kilos we start with 5 or 10 kilos in the same way We just have to start where we are and gradually work to expand that muscle. So compassion and insight and wisdom really support and reinforce each other. And we can use our wisdom understanding to see when we connect to suffering just how universal it is. That if we really pay attention, we recognize that all of us are subject to this first noble truth that there is dukkha. It's not our unique failure or our unique shortcoming or our fault that we experience suffering. It's just the truth of the first noble truth. And this is an aspect of wisdom. And surprisingly, as we understand this first noble truth more deeply, the truth that suffering is universal, it makes it easier to bear because we see, we don't take it quite so personally anymore. We understand that as human beings, we're all in the same boat. So dukkha is universal and it's impersonal. And when we get less caught up in identifying with our own suffering, there's more room to appreciate other people's experiences. And a kind of chain reaction gets set up, an interrelationship between wisdom and compassion. As compassion strengthens, wisdom grows. And as wisdom grows, compassion strengthens. And so these two really start to develop as these two wings of awakening. So to... Begin to practice that now. I'd like to offer a relatively short uh, compassion practice again. We'll be working with ourselves and mostly working with the phrases. But to try and help it get started, I'm going to invite you to bring to mind a time in your own life where you experience compassion from somebody else. And this doesn't have to be some great big Mother Teresa kind of full bore compassion it can be something very simple perhaps you were taking your groceries to the car and the bag burst and a stranger just came and helped you pick up the milk or something and there's a moment when your eyes met and you felt this 
kindness from them. So just something relatively simple, hopefully. So we'll start with that real-life situation, and I'll bring in the phrases. And uh, we'll be working with somebody who you naturally feel a sense of care for and who's currently going through some kind of difficult time. And again, with this idea of it being a muscle that we work gradually, I encourage you to choose somebody who's not going through the worst imaginable um, stress or distress. So not somebody with a life-threatening illness or something like that. So if we think of a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being the worst calamity you can imagine, try and pick somebody who's going through something that's a 5 or less. And in the phrases, uh, I'll use the word pain, but this word pain refers to not only physical, but uh, any kind of emotional pain or any other kind of difficulty or challenge or hardship. And the phrases will be something like, I'm aware of your pain. I care about your pain. May your pain release and may you know peace. So again, I'll be talking you through it. So for now, let's just settle back into a comfortable sitting position. Thank you. <laughs> 